May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my strength and my redeemer. Please be seated. The more keenly aware of you may have noticed that I'm not your regularly scheduled programming. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Barrett Hess, and I've been a member of Trinity for give or take about two years. I am also in the discernment process for ordained ministry in the Diocese of Texas. Besides just serving as an introduction, this paragraph serves to give my body time to drop out of fight or flight mode, so just bear with me briefly. What I've written for today is a short sermon that represents my attempt to make sense of today's readings. I have not been to seminary, I have never taken a theology class, and so as such, this sermon should be taken just for what it is. Me, Barrett Hess, just a guy, trying to make sense of the sacred mysteries revealed to humanity in the Bible. Here's what I came up with. For comfort, for guidance, and for strength, we can look back to those who came before us. This seems to be exactly what Isaiah is asking us to do in the first reading from today. Isaiah tells us to look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. We are told to look to Abraham and Sarah, our spiritual ancestors. And indeed, Isaiah was not writing just for our instruction. Isaiah's exhortation is one that was written for a contemporary audience of his time, one which in all likelihood felt the weight of the ages that had passed since the lives of their forebears, and who likely felt alienated from their spiritual past and present. This is not a feeling that is confined to the 8th century BC. We now live in a deeply alienating and alienated time and place. Beyond just the thousands of years that separate us from Jesus' life on earth, or the lives of Abraham and Isaiah, it can feel like there is a similarly unbridgeable gulf between us and our neighbors, co-workers, or even strangers that we see on the street. Isaiah's message is one that implores us to build bridges across time and space, to overcome the alienation that comes from our isolation, both spiritual and social. We can often feel alone in the world. These are lonely times. A recent Harvard study says that 36% of all Americans and 61% of young adults suffer from serious and severe loneliness. But we can draw both strength and comfort from Isaiah's message. And looking back to those who came before us, it can sometimes be easy to forget that God's love is at work in the world. In moments of tragedy and sorrow, which are so numerous these days, we can wonder, as poet Annie Dillard did in Holy the Firm, whether Christ pulled his cross up after him like a rope ladder, leaving us here. But we are not alone. We are linked to Abraham and Isaiah and Jesus through the great cloud of witnesses that have come before us in the lives of the saints and all believers. However lonely and isolated we may feel, Isaiah reminds us that we are never truly alone and that God's love endures in the community of the faithful now and throughout the ages. The Gospel reading for today is, for my money, one of these central moments in the Gospels and in the Bible more generally. 
the declaration by Simon Peter that Jesus is the Christ. After asking the disciples who others say he is and getting their answers, Jesus then turns the question on them, asking, but who do you say that I am? Now, we don't know anything about Simon Peter's response except for what he actually said. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. It's an excellent answer. But what isn't recounted in the Gospels is exactly how the disciples reacted to Jesus' question, whether it was right away, whether they waited. And I can't imagine that Simon Peter, without missing a beat, immediately, calmly and eloquently, declared Jesus to be the Messiah. I just can't. Because from almost everything we know about the disciples, they're usually a step or two behind Jesus. They need parables explained to them, they doubt Jesus, they try his patience. What I imagine actually happened is that a deep silence fell over the disciples when Jesus asked them this question. But this is not a condemnation of the disciples. I suspect any of us who were put in their position would want to make sure that our answer was perfect. I imagine after a while in silence, Simon Peter, God bless him, gathered his courage, earned his name, and affirmed that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, and the Son of God. We don't need to merely imagine ourselves to be put in the position of the disciples, though. Jesus' question is addressed to us, too. This question reaches out across 2,000 years, grabs us by the shoulders, and asks us, who do you say that I am? How we answer relies just on much, as much on what we do as what we say. We cannot proclaim Jesus to be the Christ with our lips while rejecting those or ignoring those who share his penultimate fate, oppression and death at the hands of the powerful. Roberto Oliveros, in the introduction to Mysterium Liberationes, asserts that to speak of the poor is to speak of Christ. On the other hand, to speak of Christ is to speak of the poor. The poor that Jesus, who was referred to as the carpenter's son by the people in his hometown, was born into and spent his life in and among. The poor that he fed and healed and walked with. The poor who to this day number in the billions, who suffered death in forests in Greece and in the Mediterranean Sea, in the Rio Grande and in our communities. When Jesus asks us, who do you say that I am? We should think carefully before answering, as I imagine the disciples did. Affirming Jesus as the Christ has consequences. It is bold and risky in a society predicated on turning away from those at the margins. Later in the same chapter from Mysterium Liberationes, Oliveros says, To be sure, behavior of this kind frequently involves a risk, as Jesus the Good Shepherd said it would. But it is actually becoming sisters and brothers with the poor that leads us to do our building upon a rock, and not just knowing that we are sisters and brothers and being content with our own words. When we confess Jesus to be the Messiah, this compels us to really act as if Jesus is the Messiah, which means using our spiritual gifts to walk the path that he walked and take up our own crosses and follow him. Paul cuts us some slack, but not too much, in today's reading from Romans, when telling us how to do exactly that. 
He instructs us to, quote, present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship, which admittedly sounds fairly serious, I'll admit. But I think that the second section from verses 3 to 8 offers a compassionate and realistic picture of how to live out our faith as Christians. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. There is no one-size-fits-all way to go into the world and glorify God. This is a beautiful thing, and it means that we all may have different ways of living out our answer to Christ's question, who is it that you say that I am? We are all given different spiritual gifts by God's grace. But above all, Paul is calling for two things, humility and action. We are meant to humbly assess what our spiritual gifts are, and then are meant to go out into the world and use them. This call to action in Romans is reflected in a section of the Gospel in Salentiname, my favorite commentary on the Gospels. The Gospel in Salentiname is a series of transcripts from a rural church community in Salentiname, Nicaragua during the Samoa's regime, in roughly 1978. One of the participants, a fisherman who could not read or write, had this to say about Jesus' question from our Gospel reading today. What the disciples were seeing was that Jesus was a man, poorly dressed, humble, a worker, and in his presence they didn't see anything that seemed to be a glorious kingdom. But Peter understood in a mysterious way that this man was no longer a prophet, but the one who was coming to fulfill the prophecies of the prophets. And Peter believed in the changing of the world. That is why Jesus called him blessed. And we too must feel ourselves blessed, this little group here, because we too believe in the changing of the world. Amen.